This morning, I get to launch a three-week conversation that we are calling the richest year. And uh, I just need to tell you off the bat, this is not a series about money. It's better than that. It's, uh, it's really a conversation about us as a church being and becoming more of what Jesus is calling us to be and to be about. Um, which is really about, I don't know why Siri, I wasn't even talking to you, but... Um, it's, it's, it's really a, a conversation that would lead us into the kind of year we would look back on and in the ways that mean and matter the most that we as a church would be able to say that was the richest year yet. Um, in fact, this is a conversation in which we want to talk about what we believe Jesus is calling us, calling you, calling me, calling all of us as part of the church to really be and be about this year. Uh, for those of you who have been part of Mission Point Community Church, you're going to notice it's nothing new. It's a re-invitation to be more about what Jesus has called us to be about. If, if um, you've been around here for a while, Emily mentioned this earlier. We as a church exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. We exist to show and share the love that Jesus has showed and shared with us. And if you peel that back a little bit, behind all of that, there's a question of, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And that's what we want to spend a little bit of time talking um, about And for us, it means we want to be a movement of Jesus followers who do a number of things. A, we want to learn what it looks like to embrace people where they are. We want to be a movement of people who embrace people where they are. We want to be a movement of people who encourage each other to love Jesus just a little bit more. That on account of you, I might love Jesus just a little bit more this year than I did last year. And we want to be a movement of people who come around each other and figure out ways to fire each other up. Figure out ways to arm each other and equip each other to live a life on mission. We exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ as a movement of Jesus followers who embrace people where they are. Who encourage each other to love Jesus just a little bit more. And who arm and equip each other to live life on his mission. And you notice this is a we thing. Here at Mission Point, we do not believe it. Church is a spectator sport. This is not something that we say a few elite people would do for the rest of us. We're saying this is what we believe Jesus is calling each and every one of us to take a hold of. It's not complicated. But the question is, will we accept the invitation and engage each of us and look back at the end of this year and say, we did what you called us to do. We grew in the ways you called us to grow. It was the richest year Yet, um, this morning we want to focus on kind of the first aspect of those three things. Learning to embrace people where they are. To learn to be a movement of people who say wherever you happen to be on your journey of faith, we will meet you there and we'll embrace you where you are. And the reason we believe Jesus is calling us to be and be about that is because that's what he is and that's what he is about. We're going to look at a, a story in the New Testament and 
awkward story. I'm so glad you came to church. Um, If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, A, we would love to get a physical Bible in your hands. Um, If you see anybody who even looks like they know where anything is, just ask them for a Bible. Uh, But really, there's a mission corner. You can ask for a Bible there. There's a a welcome area. You can ask for a Bible there. would love to get one into your hands. Um, But in the meantime, the verses are going to show up here on the screen, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online. Luke chapter 7, an awkward story. And uh, again, just so you know, as we customarily do, We'll read a little bit, we'll pause, and we'll make some observations as we make our way through this story. And we're going to get through it together, starting at verse number 36. Um, Here's what it says. Um, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house And reclined at the table. First of all, that is a stunning way to start a story. Stunning, I tell you. A Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for dinner. Jesus received the invitation, accepted the invitation, and actually showed up to the Pharisee's house. Huh? That's a stunning way to start a story. I'm just telling you, the Pharisees were an incredibly powerful and influential group of people. Matter of fact, in the Jewish community, they were the most powerful and influential group of people that they had. Um, they were religious experts in the matters of God. For a religious nation, in the matters of God, the Pharisees uh, were like the, the, the Senate and the Congress and the Supreme Court and law enforcement. They interpreted the law. They enforced the law. What they said about the law went. What they approved of was the way everybody aspired to live. And naturally, they became the most powerful and the most popular of all leaders in that community. Well, until this Jesus guy showed up. Jesus steps onto the scene and he starts doing things unlike anything anyone has ever experienced. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead, wowing people. And on top of that, he is teaching the word, the law of God with a brand of authority and a perspective and a power that people have never experienced before. And in doing that, he is veering from some of the things that this powerful group of leaders, the Pharisees, had been teaching. Matter of fact, the chapter before, he's outlining some of the ways that he disagrees with the Pharisees. Um, Doesn't ask the Pharisees their blessing or their permission to go teaching what he's teaching. He doesn't come and kiss the ring. Jesus just does his own thing, disagreeing with them as he goes. Needless to say, they are not fans of Jesus. Matter of fact, when we join this story, a plot has hatched. The Pharisees have decided we have got to discredit 
and destroy this guy ASAP and nothing is off limits. Now be super chill in the way you do it, but nothing is off limits. Operation discredit and destroy Jesus. And so they all buy their when will Jesus die bracelets and they launch out a campaign to just undo him. All I'm trying to say to you, it's a stunning way to start a story by saying a Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. Huh? In that cultural context, to have somebody at your house for dinner, let alone to share a meal with them, was this Loud expression of acceptance and embrace. It was your way of saying, you are my people. Let's eat together. And the Pharisee would have known this very, very well. And so would Jesus. They both knew this. This is a really strange way to start the story. And yet, alas, here it is. Now, it's going to become very clear in a very short period of time. This guy's intentions were less than honorable. He must have pulled a short straw with the Pharisee community, or more likely, he was one of the more influential and more powerful of the Pharisees, and it was his duty to have Jesus over so that he could diss him and discredit him and get Jesus to somehow maybe do something incriminating in front of a bunch of people. Because a meal like this with a high profile Pharisee like this guy and man, a popular person like Jesus, this kind of a meal would have been an event that was open to the public. Anyone off the streets could come in and eavesdrop and listen to what people are talking about and watch how people eat, mouth closed, mouth open, whatever. This was such an event. And so even though you may not have an invitation to you know, sit at the table or, or, or grab a plate, you could come in and you could observe. This was the nature of this. And very soon we'll see Pharisee had Jesus over so that he could absolutely show him up with the hopes of shutting him down. Ah, what's crazy to me is um, Jesus agrees to go. Clearly, Jesus has no real friends in his life. Because if he had, they would have immediately said, um, I'm sorry, Jesus, a Pharisee who's later named as Simon is inviting you to his house. Does this not seem a little suspect? Maybe perhaps a sting operation, Jesus? I would not do it. But Jesus accepts and Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house. I think that's a stunning way to start a story. I think it's a little bit of an awkward situation if you ask me. Um, and if there was ever a doubt, by the way, uh, about this dude's intentions, Jesus later on tells us what happens when he gets there. Um, okay, so this, this dinner would have been um, a table that laid pretty low and the guests would recline around the table on cushions, you know, kind of in an S shape with their feet faced out and, you know, the eating meal and having a conversation. When Jesus would have arrived, he would have walked through this archway into a courtyard in which the dinner would have been held. A person of Simon's means 
in that cultural context, if he was going to do the right thing, would have treated Jesus a certain way when Jesus arrived. So when Jesus arrived, the Pharisee would have done three things. The first thing he would have done was he would have offered him some water to wash his dusty feet on account of the unpaved roads in the Middle East at that particular time. That would have just been a gesture of welcome and honor. Or or, or better yet, he would have had one of his servants wash Jesus' feet him. The second thing the Pharisee would have done would have been to kiss Jesus on one or both cheeks. Just a gesture of saying, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. And the third thing he would have done, he would have put some oil on Jesus' head. It was just a cultural gesture of refreshing to your guest, especially your guest of honor. When Jesus arrives, he has no such courtesy. He is dissed and disregarded, treated as though he just didn't matter at all. And it was in full view of everybody. And then Jesus reclines at a table and his feet are dangling out so everyone can see the dusty situation. This Pharisee is trying to show Jesus up and make him seem insignificant. And so here Jesus is with his dusty feet at the table and it is an awkward situation. Uh, Don't worry, as is true with Jesus' stories, it's about to get a little more awkward. Verse 7 says, uh, verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, just to be clear, Luke is being very delicate and very dignifying in his language, but he is not being unclear. Um... He is talking here about a prostitute, a woman who in that cultural context sold her body to men to make a living. Uh, The idea that she lived a sinful life was Luke's way of just letting us know and everybody knew. Who she was and what she did was not a secret to anybody. She was famous, but in the kind of way that makes you say like, "Uh uh-huh. So now here's this scene, this this dinner party, right? All the popular people, Simon the popular Pharisee, Jesus the popular teacher slash miracle worker, and the popular prostitute that everybody knew are together in this courtyard. So Luke says she hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house as the dishonored guest. Um, And she says to herself, I'm a go. Clear evidence, she has no real friends in in her life um, because none of them would have signed off on this social suicide mission that she is venturing out on. This was the worst idea. The worst. And if she had real friends, they would have told her that. Wait, you're going to see that righteous guy at that religious guy's house. Girl... Just no. No. I mean, you know the Pharisees hate you, right? I know. I mean, you know the Pharisees believe God hates you because of all of the sin that you've committed, right? You know that the Pharisees don't want you anywhere near them. In fear that you might contaminate them with some of your grossness. You know this, right? You know that when they see you walking down the street, they literally cross to the other side so they don't get any of God's hate on them. 
That's the Pharisees. Girl, this is not a good idea. Um, this is a church dinner. You don't belong there. No one wants you there. Don't do it. Apparently she's crazy. She does it anyway. So I imagine that she walks through those entry archways into the courtyard. The DJ's like, music stops. Everything gets awkwardly silent. All eyes on her. She makes her way towards Jesus, her head bowed in shame because she can feel the sighs. She can hear the murmurs. She can hear the whispers. She can feel the judgmental glances. She makes her way towards Jesus. A natural path opens up as your mom grabs kid, moves that kid out of the way. Spouse grabs spouse, moves them out of the way. None of them want this lady getting her stuff on any of them. She reads people for a living. She knows she's not wanted at this party. And yet she continues to make her way towards Jesus. Um, I imagine there's a little bit of stirring in the crowd as people start to wonder like, hang on a second. How has Simon, the powerful Pharisee, not called security yet? Well, because Simon is loving this. He he is willing to make an exception. This is what he hoped for and maybe even more something to stir up here to discredit Jesus I couldn't have scripted it better myself. This could go gloriously awkward right now. And it does. Verse 38. As she, this woman, this prostitute, stood behind Jesus at his feet. Weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Kissed them and poured perfume on them. The Bible is the best. Also, if you chose to have your kids in the service, that's on you. Um, This is so awesome. Oh, man. Uh, I can imagine the Pharisees watching this. He's like, yes, God is so real and so good to me. He's so good to me. This is it. This is it. Um, This woman comes to Jesus and she stands behind him by his feet. And as though she were not a spectacle enough, she goes ahead and loses absolutely all of her stuff. She starts bawling. Uncontrollably bawling. And the waterfall of tears starts to trickle onto Jesus' feet. And the minute she notices that she didn't plan on this, she didn't come ready for this. And so instinct kicks in. And so she lets her hair down and she bends to the ground and she starts to wipe Jesus' dusty slash muddy now feet with her hair. Whoo! 
this is a little too much for some of the people in the audience. They grab their kids like, we're out of here. This person grabs her husband like, we're out of here. Because in that cultural context, for a woman to let her hair down was something she would only do in the presence of her husband. This would have been considered highly suggestive. Highly inappropriate. And some people would have been like, mm-mm. This is not okay. We are heading out of here. And then she starts to kiss the feet of Jesus over and over and over and over again. And Simon the Pharisee is like this. I'm, I'm going to win. Like all of the Pharisees are going to carry me on their shoulders. I'm going to be a hero. Like I set this up. This could not go more perfectly. There is an awkward situation brewing. You know there's some people there like, what kind of party did we come to here today? This is super awkward. Super awkward. Pharisees loving it. Having the time of his life. And then it says, she takes the, the, the container of perfume that she brought with her, which would have signified about a year's worth of her wages. This was her most valuable possession. This was good for business. And then she just starts pouring it on Jesus' feet and wiping and kissing and pouring and wiping and kissing and pouring. And this is in full view of everybody. Super Uber awkward. The Pharisee is delighted and disgusted. And delighted and disgusted. And we'll, we'll let him speak for himself. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited um, Jesus saw this, he said to himself, got him. If this man were a prophet, like a real prophet, like a real godly prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. And I hate to do this in church, but I feel like this guy kind of has a fair point. Like I feel like this is kind of a fair point. I mean, if Jesus had any real friends again, ah, they would have been telling him like 10 minutes ago, like Jesus, ixnay on the Earl Gay, like, it's time to go, bro. This is a bad look. Like, mm-mm. These optics will kill your approval rating. If you have any hope of being elected Messiah in the year 004 or whatever, like, this is not a good look. For a man, let alone a man who claims to be God-fearing, to allow a prostitute to touch him, let alone touch him. His feet, let alone kiss his feet and give him a spa day in public with her hair down. There is no way any self-respecting godly person would do something like that. That would have clearly been perceived as a gesture of acceptance or a gesture of embrace 
on Jesus' part. Like he was okay with who she was and what she stood for. Or if somebody wanted to take it a little further, they might even suggest he may have been one of her clients. He seems way too comfortable with all of this. I'm just asking you, can you see in our cultural context, Jesus coming back from that picture being posted on Facebook? Sorry, we still use Facebook, some of us in our generation. Can you imagine that? A picture of Jesus, Jesus at a party, girl at his feet, kissing perfume. Like there is no way that would have been a good look. Panta Simon, the Pharisee, the host with the most hate in his heart. He's loving it. We got him. I knew it. He's a fake. No prophet of God. Um, I mean, if he were a prophet of God, there's no way he would let somebody this gross come near him, let alone touch him. She's done some bad things. He must not know, which he would if he were a real prophet. Or he knows and he doesn't care. And he would care if he were a real prophet. Either way, we got him. Jesus finally speaks. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said in a very Christian voice. Verse 41. Two people owed money. To a certain money lender, one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I know this one. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? This is kind of hard to miss, you know what I'm saying? Um, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, Has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus asked the Pharisee a not so subtle question. According to your own customs, sir. Which one of the two of y'all. Has treated me better. Let's dial it up a notch. And let's talk spiritually. Simon. Simon. If the way you treat people. Is a reflection of the way you believe God has treated you. Which one of the two of you has God treated better? I'm 
just saying, based on the way you've treated me in this moment, which one of you has God lavished more forgiveness or grace on? You are this woman who you say God hates and cannot even stand judging her sitting there and calling me a fake prophet while you notice I'm reading your mind right now. Ooh, I'm like, chill, Jesus. This is why the Pharisees don't like you. Verse 47, therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Wow. As her great love has shown. Because forgiven people love much. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. This is powerful. And if we had more time to talk about this, we would. Because Jesus seems to be insinuating, um, based on what I'm observing, she's been forgiven. You, though, cliffhanger. Uh-huh. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Girl, go in peace. And this known sinner (laughs) who came with her head bowed low, walks away. With the reassurance of her forgiveness and a new eternal destination. The last person at the party that anyone would have expected God would roll with. Rolls out of that joint as a part of his family. The Bible is so good. This is such a beautiful story with so many principles that we could mine for days. Um, But we want to focus on what we believe Jesus is calling us to be and be about as a church. A movement of people who choose to embrace people where they are. Why? Why? Because that's what Jesus did. We want to show and share his love. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus loved. And if you're a part of this church family, this is what Jesus wants you to be a part of. And if you're not a part of this church family, this is what Jesus wants you to be a part of. Come on home or wherever you go, be a part of that I'm telling you if we are going to have the richest year this is what we must commit to growing in together this year embracing people where they are now I've got to say something really quickly so some of you don't absolutely freak out Um, let me bring a little bit of relief this does not mean you have to become a hugger relax it's not that kind of embracing 
A weird hugging church. <laughs> um, no. Embrace really is the idea of loving someone where they are, as they are. Let me turn up the temperature just a little bit to, to maybe create a little more tension in us. It's the idea of accepting someone where they are, as they are. Accepting someone where they are, as they are. This is not easy. It is messy. Not accepting someone as they someday may be or as you wish they were or if they would only do this, that. No, as they are, where they are. This is the idea of leading with love and starting with acceptance. We want to be a movement of people who lead with love and we start with acceptance. And if you study the life of Jesus, and even if you look at this story, you see the way his acceptance emerges in glorious ways. And a couple of things I observed in this story that Jesus seems to accept before agreement. He places acceptance before agreement. Loving and embracing people where they are and as they are means need to agree with your thoughts or your philosophies or your theology, your beliefs, whatever, before deciding you are my people. I value you and I am cheering for your joy and I'm cheering for your thriving. Um, Jesus did not agree with this Pharisee. On a number of issues. Again, the chapter right before this, he's outlining some of the ways he deeply disagrees with this and the other Pharisees. It's part of why they hate him. But yet Jesus RSVP'd his invitation and showed up to his house and is reclining on a cushion around his table, which would have been the loudest statement of you are my people. I accept and embrace you. That's what that meal would have rep. Why would Jesus agree to go to the house of somebody? He a gesture of acceptance. A gesture of embrace. With someone he did not agree with. We cannot decide that agreement is a prerequisite to treating people with value and welcome. I'm telling you, Jesus is calling his church back to a place of accepting people we deeply disagree with. Accepting people before we even know whether or not we disagree with them about whatever issue matters the most to you. We struggle with this as a church, and it's ironic, by the way, because whoever is in your clique and your club, the people that you agree with, I bet you if I had 15 minutes with y'all, I could find something you disagree about. There's actually no one you completely agree with, right? But we've made in so many ways agreement a prerequisite to acceptance or 
embrace. We need to end the day of making that the case. Because that's not what our king, Jesus, is like. And I'm telling you, the richest of churches is made up of people who deeply disagree and yet they love each other. The richest of churches is made up of a group of people who embrace and accept people outside of its walls that they don't agree with. And yet you are my people. I value you and I'm cheering for your thriving. I am cheering for your joy. Man, I love our elders, an incredible group of individuals. Um, uh, I may get censured for saying this, outing some insider stuff, but man, we had a festive elder meeting last week. It got tense uh, because we were having discussion about some things that we deeply disagreed about. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and one elder is saying to the other, like, man, I, I just can't roll with you on that. I completely disagree with you. Well, I disagree with you too. Well, I think you're wrong. Well, yeah, I think you're wrong too. You know, I was tense. I should have taped it. Um, But to sit around that table and listen to them say, I disagree with you. But brother, I love you and we are going to war together. I was like, that's a rich leadership group. It was humbling to hear that. And to be a part of that. Our agreement is not a prerequisite for our embrace and acceptance. And in this case, it's not a prerequisite for us hitting the streets with the love of Jesus Christ. Together. We have to end the day where agreement is a prerequisite to acceptance. In fact, let's practice this together right now. As awkward as it may be, tell the person sitting next to you or near you, you are my people. Go on, tell them that. I'll give you a second. You're my people. You don't even know what you disagree about. You don't even know what you in your face, Satan. Man, may we be that kind of people. I don't know what you agree with. In fact, I do know what we agree or disagree. But I'll come to your house for dinner. You are my people. I notice in this story, Jesus' acceptance before um, his approval. Um, Loving people where they are means I don't need to approve of your practices, your life choices before deciding you're my people. I value you and I cheer for your joy. I cheer for your success. In fact, I may deeply disapprove of the choices that you're making morally. And I would never make those choices personally. But I choose to accept you where you are as you are. There's a famine of that in the church. Jesus did not approve of this Pharisee's practices. In fact, he deeply disapproved of the way that these Pharisees would add weight to the shoulders of people who are already struggling with shame in the presence of God and guilt and feeling like they just can't do enough and they can't be enough and they would just keep piling on. Jesus deeply disapproved of that. His religious superiority, Jesus disapproved of. But yet here he is sitting at his table, a gesture of acceptance 
and embrace. I don't need to tell you, Jesus did not approve of this prostitute's lifestyle or life choices. There are so many things he said in his word that make clear what he believes about sexual purity and the marriage bed. He does not agree. He does not approve. But he accepted her where she was, as she was. Again, he had every opportunity to give her just one holy kick and she would have been in Egypt, right? He had every opportunity to send her out, but he didn't. He let her continue to do this for goodness knows how long. I'm just saying the church of Jesus Christ should be the first to accept people as they are. Even when we may find their life choices morally wrong. I accept you. I love you. I value you. To the self-righteous and to the sinner. I love you. You notice Jesus accepted both. He never joined either. But he accepted both. And I'm telling you, this is a messy thing. Some of you are feeling the tension right now. And you want me to make a thousand disclaimers. And I'm not going to. Come back next week. He's calling us to love people who may do things we don't love. What would you... Kondo, this is dangerous. Like, what if she takes it further? Like, what if she, 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 she wants to lead Jesus into sin? He'll say No. And newsflash, so should you. Um, but we need to stop crossing streets just in case. Well, but you, oh yeah, I don't approve. Uh, I'm crossing the street just in case. You know, somebody may see us on the same side of the street. They may take a picture and they may post it online. And all of a sudden, I may be associated with them. And people might think that I approve of their behavior. So I've got to create distance. I've got to disassociate with them. by No, because stop it. And karma, we've got to stop being so concerned about what people might think about us if we love people whose behavior we may not approve of. Because the only person whose opinion mattered had a prostitute kissing his feet in public at a Pharisee's house and at no point did he feel the need to defend himself. This is a scary place. And I think what we've done is we've created the pharisaical boundaries that say, well, just in order to be safe and just so no one out there mistakes me for loving people, I want to. And then we even get so pious and we'll talk about, well, you know, you've got to protect the reputation of Jesus because you don't want, you know, we've got to be a little bit more unloving so that people don't think that we, we are too loving. And then, you know, Jesus will look bad and they'll never come to him so let's walk on the other side of the street it is really strange the way we think and justify ourselves as though the greatest command is to protect the reputation of Jesus it's actually not y'all it's to love people Love God, love people. And that gets super 
messy. Um, acceptance before adjustment. One more. I know this one is obvious, but it still needs to be said. Loving people where they are, as they are, means I don't need them to first adjust. We need to stop that. I don't need them to first stop doing something, being something, first change something before they feel my acceptance or my embrace of them. Before they feel the value. Before they feel my cheering for their joy and their support, right? That's how we feel. Well, if I, if I cheer for their support, then they may feel like I, I just want them to perpetuate in this particular thing. So I'm just going to withhold it. Um, Jesus did not require the Pharisee or the prostitute to change something before embracing them. I mean, read the Bible. Just pay attention to who Jesus hang out with. In fact, pay attention to the things Jesus was accused of. Constantly, you're a friend with those people, and you're a friend with tax collectors, and you're a friend with prostitutes, and you're a friend with sinners. Constantly. And you know Jesus' response? It's facts. It's true. He did not require them to change, and he did not require you to change before he embraced you. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, you notice it doesn't say for God so agreed with the world. Mm -mm. It doesn't say for God so approved of the world. No. Before the world was transformed, he loved and came and embraced us and said, you are my people. And if you have any question about that, check out what he was wearing on earth. He became a people. He literally put on flesh a picture of acceptance and embrace of a broken and fallen and messed up humanity long before any of us changed. And we only changed because he changed us. I'm just asking what was Jesus like? Because that's what he's calling us to be and to be about. And it's crazy to think that he went to the cross and he died to offer hope to people who were never accepted. But you did that for them? Yeah, because I, I want something for them. But you know that many of them are not going to accept you. I know that. But it's not a prerequisite for me to express my love to them. Express how valuable they are to me. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And all of a sudden, the church has created in many ways this culture that says, you, you got to stop being a sinner for me to roll with you. You got to stop being a sinner for me to love you. For me to embrace you. We believe Jesus is calling us to show his love to each other and to the world outside these walls. Not treating people like I'm holding back how much I value you and how much I cheer for your good. And how much I'm willing to sit with you until you adjust. I've been so guilty of this. In order to make clear what I stand for or to convey the holy standards of God. I've often distanced or disassociated myself from certain kinds of people because I don't want them thinking that I'm okay with everything that they're doing which by the way is ridiculous you are not okay with everything anyone in your life is doing um, like first accept Jesus and change your sinful behavior then I'll accept you 
That's crazy. Like, uh, this is my well-behaved child whom I embrace and accept. This one has a few more behavioral issues. Once they change all of those things, then watch. Then you don't do that. He doesn't do that. And he's calling us to love people as they are, where they are. If you're part of Mission Point, we would love for heaven to accuse us of loving people where they are, as they are. Pharisee or prostitute, welcome. We love you. Politically left or right or or somewhere in the middle, undecided. Man, we love you. We value you. We cheer for your Good with that sexual history or that sexual struggle or that sexual orientation, we value you. We've got to stop making well, well, okay, sexual struggle. I'm fine with sexual orientation. No, with your doubts and your skepticism about God, um, we love you. We want Mission Point to be a worship party with Jesus as the honored guest, and everyone is welcome just as they are. I'm just asking you if Jesus threw a party. Who would be seated at that table? No one should ever feel like they need to lower their head in shame to walk through these doors. No one should worry that their presence will stir whispers of what's she doing at church. This is not a Pharisee's home. This is the Savior's house. And we want to be his representatives in the way we love people, in the way we embrace people, in the way we welcome people, where they are, as they are. Now, that's not the only thing we do, but that's where we've got to start. Because if I don't embrace you, but I want to evangelize you, that's what we think. Like, oh, Jesus just came and he didn't like him. No, even people who rejected him, he embraced. Even his enemies, he embraced. I'm so thrilled about what this will look like for our church as we step into this more and more. And there are simple things. Kirsten's going to come out, and she's going to have more interesting things to say than I'm saying right now. But um, to me, even just in simple things, like, come on, like when we walk past each other in the hallways here, can we just, like, lift our head and just maybe say hi? Like, even just simple things like that. Like, ah, introverts are dying. Don't you do this to me. Don't you do you know I come late and leave early. Don't you do this to me. Right? But how amazing for us to just start there. But just acknowledging each other. Like hi. I don't know what we agree with or disagree with. Or what shady behavior you're into. You look suspicious to me. But you're my people. I love you. You know. You don't have to say all that. That gets weird like on the first meeting. But <laughs> But let's at least acknowledge each other. Let's, let's greet each other. Let this be a place where people feel welcome and people feel wanted just as they are. You never know what someone is carrying. You never know what they're believing about who they are until we show them the love of Jesus Christ. that says, hey, I don't know who you are, but hi, you know. And you may get some crabby people, but don't let that stop you. It didn't let Jesus... Um, stop from doing that even in his world. I- I'm going to pray. Kirsten's going to come share some exciting things. Love her as she is, by the way. In fact, when she comes out, let her know, like, we love you, Kirsten. We value you. She'll appreciate that. Um, the Father, I do pray that you would help us to love the way Jesus loved, to accept people. That is so hard for us. We feel like we need to make disclaimers and fix people and change people first. Help us to love like you loved. 
and trust you to continue to do some incredible things in us and through us. It's the way you've loved us and it's the way you call us to love the people around us. We praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.